Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starting Group Podcast. I'm Rome Katie. He is Shane Holcomb, and we have Robbie Basil back with us as our special guest for this week's race recaps. And guys, what a race that was. I mean, it was kind of a snooze fest throughout, but, you know, a lot of chaos happened at the front and the back, but then it just kind of slowed down from there pretty much. So, Shane, I'll go to you first. You know, what were your instant thoughts on this race? And I know you're usually the one asking me this, so I'm flip-flopping this one on you this time. Yeah, um, honestly, kind of disappointed, Rome, because, I mean, this is now two race weekends in a row now where we've had killer qualifying sessions and I've been so excited to see what can ensue on Sunday and it hasn't lived up to the hype. Obviously, we had some drama on lap one, basically just for one turn, though, and then the rest of the race was kind of the same thing that's been happening the past 11, you know, so... I would say the word for me today, Rome, is disappointing, and that's just not for the drivers that I'm going to talk a little bit about today, but I think the race as a whole and the F1 entertainment business is going to be disappointed with how this one turned out today, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, you were the one that said that this race is going to be the best race of the year, especially after qualifying. So I think this is the best case scenario in the fact that we need to kind of, you know, be take things step by step and be gradual with what we're saying out here but Robbie I'll I'll give this one off to you next first of all welcome back on the show my friend but second of all uh what are your thoughts on this race do you kind of share the same thoughts as we do where it was kind of a snooze fest or did you actually find some excitement towards the grid throughout up and down first of all thank you guys for having me back and I'm gonna use a word that's a little bit different from shame with disappointment I'm gonna use frustration from a viewer's perspective because all the hype that we brought up yesterday, and I was very excited. I turned on my TV right when I woke up this morning, and I turned on the race. We watched turn one where people were killing, literally, and metaphorically killing each other. I mean, and you saw all the hype that that got, and then I literally almost fell asleep halfway through the race. I am not kidding in the bedroom that I was staying in. So it's frustrating as a fan to not only see the same winner win every almost every race now but to see the hype this race would get and how entertaining this track has been in the past and for it to be so stale and boring at times it's just the way that it was and i don't know what else to say i don't even think you can say anything about how frustrating and boring the race got at points yeah and i feel like this race personally reminded me too much of what mexico was last year because you could just see how far like the time gaps were like they were at astronomical numbers that I don't think a lot of F1 fans can even compute in their minds at some points. But I know we're starting to talk about lap one. So we'll just get into that right now. There are so many angles, especially just going into that first turn. So I'll start with the guy who started on pole, Lewis Hamilton, who started from pole, like I said, but then dropped all the way down to P4 by the end of the first lap and he would finish in what was it p4 he was staying p4 so yeah to me like i'll just start off real quick with lewis like this was a very disappointing race i mean we all thought the verstappen was going to win the race ultimately but i feel like we all had some sort of thought that lewis was going to at least lead at some point in this race not just get absolutely swallowed by two cars whose engine you're you're borrowing to is McLaren. 
like you're getting swallowed by your own like triple A team essentially. So just that in itself to me is very embarrassing. And at this point, Toto, I, I saw this video the other day, like a couple weeks ago, but I, it, it comes back right in my mind. Toto should be walking across the paddock, going into McLaren's garage and yanking that engine out of that car. Because if he sees that McLaren is doing better than the than the guy who's giving them this engine, then it, he has every right to just yank it from him from a gazemanship standpoint. Because McLaren is obviously doing better than Mercedes is right now, and especially in this race. And I know that I've been the guy that's like, oh, right, you know, these guys are going to do well. These guys are good drivers. And we all know they're good drivers. It's just the car hasn't been completely there yet. But it's just when you look at it from that perspective, it's just not great from the Mercedes perspective. And they just need to go back to the drawing board with this one, especially when you're on pole and you get P4 and P6 from your two drivers who, in my opinion, are the top two, top three best driver lineup on the grid. That's That to me is very disappointing and very alarming. I think if you're a Mercedes fan, if you look at it, but Shane, I'll go to you first again. You know, you're again, like I say all the time, you're the Mercedes fan in the room. So we'll, we'll try and get your uh, biased opinion on this one. You know, do you share the same thoughts that I have, or is it kind of different to the tune of like, these guys are going to bounce back from this. They'll do well in the next few races down the line or in spa going into summer break. Well, McLaren and Mercedes have the same engine as you point out, Ron. So it's just the engineering feat that McLaren has been able to develop over these past couple of races in their factory back in Milton Keynes that has totally surpassed what Mercedes have been able to do. And it's unfortunate because on one lap pace, especially yesterday, and in Q3, Lewis looked, I mean, he was the fastest of the lot and that showed once he got pole position, but I think it says a lot, Rome, that a car like Mercedes, who's built for this Hungara Rin, couldn't beat out their, you mentioned it, I mean, sister team, although the sister team is killing it right now, McLaren, whose car isn't necessarily suited to the Hungara Rin. So if they can't beat McLaren around this Rin, Rome, we're going to beat McLaren. And I think that's the realization that all these Mercedes fans, including myself, are having at this moment is like, McLaren is now the second best car on the grid. I think we have to say that. Like, they are now the second best car on the grid. And I think there's a bit of a gap there. Because if you look at the data and you look at the statistics, there is half a second between each lap time between Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton. Half a second. That's a pretty big gap. Um, so it's it comes down to the engineering feats at the end of the day. We know that Lewis is such a talented driver. And while he didn't have the greatest of, of starts, he did really pick it up towards the end of the race because Mercedes do tend to thrive towards the back end of these races. We've kind of seen them get a little bit up that grid, overtake some cars towards the last 10 or so laps of each race this season. You saw it with George Russell, who I think we'll get to a little bit later, but in my opinion, had a drive of the day case, you know, going from 18th to 6th because Mercedes thrive when there's not as much fuel in the car, but it's just really mind boggling because like you came on mentioned Rome, these guys have the same engine. Mercedes have more money. They have the quote unquote, more experienced engineers and technicians. And 
the more experienced driver lineup, if we're being honest as well. So Total Wolf has to do something about it because my opinions, honestly, of him have kind of changed over these past couple race weekends. I mean, as a team principal at the moment, I know it's not all on him, but he's got to make some bold calls if they want to compete for a Constructors' Championship or even get close to competing for a Constructors' and Drivers' Championships going forward. Yeah, those are some very interesting points that you made, Shane. And I feel like I, I feel like I go back to the point where you said that McLaren is second best car on the grid. That's a bold take, especially with recency bias right now. But if you think about the rest of the cars other than Red Bull, you think about Ferrari, they haven't been great. Aston Martin hasn't been great. Mercedes obviously hasn't been great. Alpine, Alfa Romeo, Williams, Alfa Tari, and Haas, they're better than them too. So I think realistically, if you think about it, that's that's a legit point that you just made. I feel like especially with those two drivers that have been driving really well too. And we'll get to them a little bit, but I know you have something else to say, Shane. You just got to look at the numbers, Rome. Like you literally, you look at the data and McLaren's half a second quicker in the race yeah. on each lap. Mm-hmm. Like four of the one geeks look at that kind of stuff as I do. And half a second is a, time period of 10 years in formula one i mean it's a lot of time yeah and and to continue that adds up lap over lap you know so i don't know i i'm sure robbie has some takes on this as well but i it's disappointing for me Robin. I, i've kind of gotten tired of it because i came into the sport you know hearing how much of a gargantuan titan mercedes as a team were and the fact that they haven't really adjusted to these regulation changes yet and it's been a year and a half somewhat concerned you know only one race win in brazil in these past 16 or so months like i'm sorry but mclaren are taking over as my favorite team at the moment right now wow this man is finally that that hatcheting down the mercedes bias for mclaren now it's very it's not biased though it's just it's in it's it's i like to use the word inexcusable it's you can't defend these performances yeah all right, so we we got an angry Merck fan in the chat, but we also got, uh, I would say a pretty unbiased F one fan, Robbie. You know, would you would you kind of look at this and like react to the same way Shane and, and and I are, which is like absolute worry and absolute warning for Mercedes, or do you kind of again go back to the fact that Lewis and Hamilton and George Russell are two really good drivers and, and that they'll be able to bounce back from this and do kind of what they did towards the end of last year, where they got on a bunch of podiums as well and kind of kept their moment kept their momentum going that way my question question right now is is shane going to officially jump ship and go to mclaren that's my question I mean, right to now. me that's what it sounds like but i mean this guy's wearing the mclaren hat and the mclaren uh yeah i just realized so i don't i don't know about that just yet but it seems like it's pretty obvious to me but i don't know it might be just me i think that's a question for another day but yeah you guys are on 100 right and the fact that McLaren's upgrades have soared them up the grid so high, I think is even more concerning because you, you like I said last time, yesterday, last time I was here, McLaren were kind of, kind of trash. I mean, Lando Norris's points he scored today were as almost as many points as they scored leading into Miami. This consider that where they were now look where they are now. And saying that the second best team on the grid, 
I think that's an actual factual statement. And I mean, Lando looks great. I mean, I said Piastri was going to finish on the podium and it's kind of frustrated that he didn't. But yeah, Mercedes are, I'll word it how one of my friends told me about it. They're in the mud right now. They are in trouble. And if they wanted to get out of this, they have to make these adjustments that I think where they are right now in the constructors could be, they're slipping. And the question right now is, will other teams take advantage of it? And I'm very intrigued to see if other teams take advantage of of how far they're going to be sliding. Yeah, that's that's again also a very interesting point there. But we'll we'll talk about towards the back of the grid now because like there's a bunch of different angles we can go about this, especially as as we talked about on lap one, talked about Lewis, talked about McLaren, you know, all those guys at the front doing their thing. And Piastri even made a run at Verstappen too, which was amazing. He got into P2 towards the first court uh first corners of lap one. But I want to pay more attention, I think, towards the back of the grid in lap one, because Zhou Guan Yu touched, I think it was either Yuki or Ricardo, it was one of the Alpha Tari's that got touched at that point. Um, and then one of the Alpha Tari's touched both Alpines and then just created a domino effect of just crashes, which led to both Alpines being out within the first like five laps, which to me, I'm just going to start this off straight away with Alpine. If you look at this performance from them, it is just absolutely embarrassing. Second double DNF in a row, by the way. Two double DNFs in a row. I don't think I've ever seen that before, ever in my entire life. Like, it's just, it's just, just embarrassing. The fact that you just, you know, have like, have your midfield team rivals in McLaren absolutely blow right past you. And Alpine is just towards the bottom, you know, having these double DNFs the whole time. And it's just, frankly embarrassing on their end as well probably as embarrassing or even more embarrassing as mercedes is right now to be honest because you're supposed to be competing with mclaren like there's no ifs ands or buts about that and then now it seems like this midfield battle is going in two completely different directions alpine is going towards the bottom of the grid mclaren is going towards the top so i'll go i know i talked to shane a lot first so i'll go to you robbie first on this one like, do you think Gasoline Ocon can just pull something out the rest of this year, or will it just be another case of just being bottom feeders the rest of the year? Well, I want to start with this, and I was looking at the multiple angles like you guys talked about, and I'll start with Joe because this is the big talking point that I came up with that I wrote down. The dude stalled off the line. He didn't do anything. He, he was there. He, he stalled off the line. I'm like, am I watching – like 2023 F1, or is this like a Jordan from 2006 where they just didn't move off the line? But man, the, the frustration from Alpine is there. But when you look back at the highlights, they had nowhere to go. Like it was, it was like a domino effect is the best way I could put it. And the frustration is there from Alpine. They have two great drivers. I love Gasly. I've liked him for a long time. I mean, the guys, both of them have, both Alpine drivers have at least won a race. Not many teams can say that. You look at Aston Martin, Fernando Alonso is the only one who's won a race. Um, Haas has not won a race with either driver. A lot of other teams can say that as well. But the talent that they have and the, for, the frustration is there. They can have frustration. But what we saw today and both of them going out before the first lap finished is I'm not fully blaming the drivers at all because they know where to go. But at the same time, the concerns are there for the casual fan, but if you're the more experienced fan and you get guys look at the what actually happened, 
you can't really put them at fault for this because when you go into that first corner and trying to go around the outside, you are putting yourself at risk. And that's the price they had to pay because Joe stalled off, stalled off the line. He then goes down and tries to make some move. And then that leads to a domino effect of cars crashing out just the way it had to be. But yeah, I see the frustration from some people from Alpine, but I mean, my, the way I'm going to finish this is what else could they have done? Interesting stuff there. I mean, I probably would have gone a different route with this one just based off of the result. Cause I feel like no matter how like you mean to do that, the result is the result. And regardless if they meant to or not, it's a double DNF. And you have to just look at that from that perspective. Well, what could they have done? Look where they were and look what happened behind them. They they couldn't do anything. Yeah, but at what the, could they have done? Where could they have gone? No, but to me, my, my point isn't really about the drivers at the end of the day. My point is really about getting results for the team. And if you're looking at a double DNF as, as a team, just a team perspective, I get it. Gasly and Alcon are great drivers. I, I mean, that was probably just, they were right in the middle of something, whatever, what have you, what have you. But if you look at it from a result perspective, when you're trying to compete with McLaren and when McLaren's just absolutely shooting up the grid at this moment, like you have to look at that as an Alpine fan and just, just be absolutely disappointed. And on top of that, your CEO just stepped down. So you're looking at different leadership as well to kind of take the reins here. So everything is just so convoluted at Alpine right now. Like there's, they're going in so many different directions. It's kind of hard to comprehend, but Shane, I'll go to you next on this one. Do you think, do you share the same opinions as Robbie and I, or does it, are you kind of on a different tune on this one? So after Austria, Rome, if we remember, which is actually the last time as you brought up that Alpine scored points, Alpine were ahead of McLaren by, I believe, from 10 to 20 points in the constructor standard, something around there. They're now below them by 40 points. And if you think about that over the next couple of races, where, as you mentioned, Ron, these two teams are going two completely different directions right now. Alpine aren't going to be able to catch up to McLaren at this pace. Like, it's not even going to be close at the end of the season. So, going from the high of Monaco to now these back-to-back double DNFs, I mean, it's it's horrid for them. And 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 while I do agree with Robbie's point of like, what could have you done? I'm going to say you could have qualified a little better, like. P13, P15, like, what was that all about? Um, that's what you could have done. So I guess P12, P15, that's my bad. Esteban kind of guess was P12. But, I mean, still, not getting to Q3 in that car. Fifth best car in the grid, arguably. So I don't know. It's just, it's not good enough. So, and and like Robbie points out, like, these guys are two race winners. Ocon won in Hungary just two years ago. And so... It's a shame. I mean, these these two drivers, in my opinion, and this team, I don't like to throw this round this word around all the moment, and 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 I don't like to be reactionary. But these two drivers and this team is the definition of mid for me, and this team principal and Otmar definition of mid, definition of mid, and um, they're not going to go forward. They're not going to improve on this. I don't think they might get a couple points finishes down the stretch of the season, but no more podiums for this Alpine team, especially the way McLaren's driving. And even, I mean, Mercedes had a bad day today, 
I know I cropped them a little bit earlier, but they're still performing in qualifying, so they're bound to get more podiums, especially if Lewis Hamilton keeps on qualifying as he as he did this past weekend. Like he's gonna get podiums more likely than an Alpine is going is going to. So yeah, I mean, I'll throw the definition of mid to this Alpine team because that's that's two drivers that are kind of stuck in their own ways right now. And I don't see them developing any farther than what they've already done. I think these both these drivers have hit their peaks in Formula One and their peak is a midfield team. I don't see Gasly or Ocon go into a big three team of the future because guess what? Lando Norris is ahead of them in that spot. Charles Leclerc is ahead of them in that spot. Oscar Piastri is ahead of them in that spot. You can argue Alex Albon is ahead of them in that spot. Like there's a lot of drivers that are ahead of them in those in that recruiting spots. So where's Ocon and Gasly going to go? They're going to stay at Alpine, maybe have a nice French baguette every now and then, but they don't even get to go to their home Grand Prix anymore. So I guess that's not going to happen. Um, they're just too set in their ways. They're too set in their own ways. They're too comfortable with being mid. And unfortunately, that's their peak, and that's the only way they're going to go is is not up from here. So those that's my thoughts on Alpine. And I, I just... I'm sorry I'm being somewhat ruthless there with my takes, but I'm just talking about the facts at the moment. And sometimes you got to put your emotions aside and talk about what's actually happening because that's why and that's how you stay in this business is analyzing the facts. So there's there's my thoughts on Alpine. Nah, man. I mean, I love it. Like, you're, I, I, feel, I feel like you're taking over my title for like spewing all these hot takes today. I'm usually the one that's doing this. Now, now you're taking over my title. I love it, though. I love the energy. It's, it's what we need on this pod for sure. But anyway, we talked about Danny Rick on the qualifying episode. We'll talk about him right now. And this guy just, you know, bounced all over the grid. He was at P18 at one point, the crash. Then he randomly jumped up to the points at P8 at times when everyone pit. And he's back down to P18 towards the latter half of the race. And then he ends at P13 where he basically started from. So a very... Very interesting race from the Honey Badger himself. Robbie, I'll go to you first. You know, what are your thoughts on his race? Like the first race back, you know, getting his feet under him. I and he, as he said after the race, I, I, he felt like after that crash, he could have gotten points if that crash didn't happen, which is kind of realistic to be honest. Because I mean, he's been great in that Alpha Tower. I mean, granted, it's been like a few practice sessions of qualifying in a race, but. From the small sample size that we've seen, it hasn't been that bad realistically. So kind of what are your thoughts on the Honey Badgers race today? I think the goal for him was just staying alive and not crashing the car. And that would have been a success for me. I mean, points were in the picture, that's for sure. But the fact that he outqualified and outperformed his teammate today, that's just a testament to how his experience and how much talent that he still has. I mean, that Alpha Tower, you were right. It got into the points at one point because of everyone pitting. Then he dropped back, drops back to P18. And because of other strategy blunders and him making a couple of moves that um, the two announcers didn't mention, Crofty and Brundle didn't really mention, he gets back to where he started. So the fact that he didn't finish that far below where he started, I mean, I believe he's finished where he started, I believe. So that's good enough, I think, for the first week back. And the fact that he didn't really have any like reserve sessions weeks or months before this, I think that's satisfactory. I think is how you I would characterize his performance today. He didn't crash the car. He granted he got fell down the grid the order because of what happened with the two Alpines and the other 
and that whole shenanigans. But yeah, the goal, I mean, he did good enough. And will he continue to, will he be able to top what he did today that for the, in the future? And that's my real question for Danny Rick. But for his performance today, it was satisfactory. That's how I characterize it. Yeah, I, def- I definitely share the same sentiments as you do. Shane, I'll go to you next on this. You know, do you share the same things as we do? Or are you kind of just like, eh, I don't know if this is really going to work out. Alfatari, will he just try and try his best and try and just write out the season with decent points? Or will he just kind of stay this way? I have to give some credit to Ricardo here because I think he could have hung his head after being touched into the first couple of corners. But he didn't. He fought back his way to P13. And while that might not seem like a monumental step for him, especially considering that he's gotten to the point so many times in his career, when you look at this AlphaTauri car and you look at the, I'm once again, I'm sorry, I keep on bringing back the data. That's just kind of what I like to look at. I mean, race pace wise, this team is the worst on the grid. And it's not even really quitely close. I mean, I know Haas are really bad tire shredders when it comes to Sunday. But Ricardo, again, a stat here, was 0.25 seconds per lap quicker on average than Sonoda, which is pretty impressive if you look at it from the fact that, okay, Ricardo, people people will say, okay, Ricardo's been in the simulator for a little while. He's been testing out these cars. That's the Red Bull car that he's being in the simulator with. Not, not, not that AlphaTauri. He did the Pirelli test in the Red Bull, not the AlphaTauri. He shows up on Friday, does two free practice sessions, and then out-qualifies Sonoda, and then beats him in the race. And he's much quicker per lap than Sonoda, which, honestly, I know, Rome, you and I aren't the biggest fans of Sonoda, but if you look at it, in a car where there's the there, there's not much separation usually between the bottom of the pack and their two drivers at the moment next to I'm pretty sure it was next to let me see here it's next to like the likes of Mercedes and then next the likes of Red Bull the gap between the two drivers per lap that's significant and Ricardo deserves some credit for not hanging his head after what happened on lap one because he could have very easily finished the bottom of those who were classified today but a he avoided the trouble on turn one and B, he fought his way back. He completed both of his goals this weekend. Out-qualified Sonoda, beat Sonoda in the race. That's what he has to do for these remaining 10 or so races this season. And so, yeah, he, he completed his goals, and it's a step in the right direction. And it's a good, as Robbie mentioned yesterday, it's a good audition for his seat in 2024, looking at his AlphaTauri future, and dare I say his Red Bull future come the next season. So, uh, yeah, good, good showing for Ricardo today, Rome. Yeah, for sure. And I want to go to someone who's also had some experience on the grid as well. That's Botas. I mean, this guy kind of started at a random P7 to get to come into this race. I mean, he ended his, his race in P12, which, I mean, is kind of expected if you look at an Alfa Romeo car. Like, let's be real, even though you qualified and the, both drivers randomly qualified in Q3, you're going to get race pace just just bottomed out and it did bottom out for him but not as much as people would have probably expected him to which i think for me is kind of a good positive if you look at it from alfa romeo side of things so i think just for me speaking on botas here 
I mean, I've been saying on here multiple times that this guy's washed. This guy's cooked. He's not. He's not going to be what he once was in Mercedes. And I mean, to be fair, he kind of proved me wrong today. Question mark? Maybe I don't know. I mean, the P twelve is kind of just kind of a meh performance. I feel, I feel like if you look at it from that perspective, it's no points. I mean, when you had Q three at P seven, you want to try and stick it and get a couple points here and there, at least the P nine, P ten. But I think. Just off of Alfa Romeo's performances recently, as they've been kind of bottom feeders along with Alfa Tari, I feel like this is kind of a step in the right direction. And they brought the upgrades, they brought that downforce, they brought that pace to Hungary. And we'll see if they can bring that to Belgium. I don't know if that's a real possibility yet, but I feel like they could get there at some point. So, Robbie, I'll go to you first. You know, if you look at the Flying Fins performance, I know you're a big fan of his. So, I want to, I, I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on him and how he did today. The fact that I said this dude finished in the top five, I thought when I said it, it was ludicrous. And I mean, he had a good start, kinda. And then just he was trying to go, I believe he was trying to go down the inside and he just got blocked by everyone. So, and then he started falling down the order. My question for Alfa Romeo is this You're, you had a step in the right direction. You're 100% right on this, Rome. Are they going to turn into Haas and have no pace in the race? And are they just going to just bore everyone to say everyone has all these high hopes and then they just drive everyone crazy and just turn out to be underachieving the race? That's the real question for them. Because what Joe did, what Joe did, I have to bring this up again, stalling off the line, looking like a 2006 Jordan was terrible. And I was laughing about it because I saw it happen. Like right when the lights went out, I'm like, Someone stalled off the line. I'm like, oh god, this is not going to end very well. Because I was thinking this was this is going to turn into 2021 when Botas killed turn turned out to like ten six cars off the road. So I thought we we're going to see a repeat of that, and it was only two this time. But w- what happened with VB was, I mean, that car didn't look great on some of the tires, and that's just what's going to happen with a car like Alfa Romeo. Could they have scored points today? I think so, absolutely, but. I mean, I don't even know what to think for them, but they qualify well. I just want to see if they can continue qualifying well because they can continue to qualify well and get them themselves up the up the order. I think scoring more points is in on the cards for them, but it's just going to see can they continue what they've done. And I don't know. It's a big question for me is that can they keep this rolling into the next race? Yeah, that's a big question. Shane, what are your thoughts on Alfa Romeo and Botas' race today as well? Yeah, honestly, for Botas' point of view, you know, we look at what happens in practice, which is you can kind of get a sense of what race pace is going to be like from the practice sessions. That's why they're so valuable to the teams, at least the first two practice sessions before P3 on Saturday. Alfa Romeo, this whole season's race pace hasn't been really any than, better than average. I mean, below average, to be honest with you. So it's kind of hard to tell the likes of Zhou Guanyu, who's only in his second season of Formula 1. Oh, yeah, Zhou, you're going to have to stave off Fernando Alonso, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, Dan Ricardo, even, who are behind you. And better cars, maybe not definitely not Daniel Ricardo, but the others in better cars, and that's just not a feasible task for him. And while he's very talented, and I'm sure he will get 
some points. Can see will become a consistent point scorer when he gets into a, a hopefully he signs for a better, a little bit of a better midfield team in these next couple of seasons. Because I think he's very talented. I think what he's doing in his second year of Formula One, even back in his first year, you know, beating Botas out in some races isn't talked about enough. It's still disappointing for them, though, because obviously they, they start fifth and seventh. And, like, at a track like Hungary, I talked about this yesterday, like, there's not many places to overtake. And while I know race pace might not be the best for them, they still should be able to somewhat hold off into maybe getting a snatch in a P10. Because if you look down the likes, I mean, down the line, Rome, like, we mentioned it earlier, but, like, Sargent ended up retiring, of course, you had Gasly and Ocon retire. So it's like these guys were taken out of the race, some of the competitors who were trying to snatch the points away from you. So, yeah, I mean, for Alfa Romeo, this season has been not 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 the best for them. I mean, they're second to last in the driver in the Constructors' Championship at the moment behind a team like Williams, and they haven't scored a point since Canada. So it's been a minute for them. And... I'm just looking at these tracks. You know, we got Belgium, Netherlands after the summer break, Monza. Like, I think their opportunity already passed for them. Like, of course, Bahrain was a great race weekend for them with four points picked up. And then they picked up two in Australia, two in Spain, and one in Canada. But I think their best tracks and their best races are already behind them. So now with Daniel Ricciardo back in this Afatari, there is nine points that separate, I believe, Alfa Romeo. Oh, another seven points that separate Alfa Romeo and Afatari. So I think it's feasible to say that Alfa Romeo need to be looking behind their backs to Dana Ricardo snatching some points in these in, in, in the the races to come because I think Afatari is more likely and more primed to set up for success in these tracks come up in these next couple of race weekends um than Alfa Romeo is because I think Alfa Romeo's best tracks and best opportunities for points have kind of already passed them, Rome. Yeah, I feel like that's an interesting point that you make about Alpha and how they're kind of in a weird spot right now in terms of performance in their end. But I also want to turn to another backmarker team on the grid, the Williams. And to me, when you look at what Williams did today, to me, it's frankly disappointing because you had like for these past like three races, Canada, Austria, Silverstone, right? All three of them realistically have gone fantastic. I mean, yeah, Albon picked up a couple points. Sargent wasn't too far behind. He got P12 in Silverstone. But when you look at a guy, when you look at both drivers not even getting into the points, to me is disappointing, especially with how well they, with how well, especially how well Albon has been doing in the past like three races, especially with Canada, Austria, and Silverstone. I mean, it might be recency bias for me, but I feel like just right now, if you look at, where this team is i mean you want to try and use canada austria and silverstone as momentum going into hungary in this race and it just kind of was a step back at least that's my thoughts but shane i'll go to you first on this one you know williams didn't really have the best performance i think today out of most of these constructors but do you think they'll try and get the job done in spa and try and uh, get the summer break on a high note yeah i mean James Vallis, I think, has already over succeeded in his first stint, first year as team principal with Williams. And you've seen that at tracks like Silverstone, you've seen that at tracks like Austria. But Williams are kind of in this weird kind of middle ground at the moment, Rome, where their car just isn't really suited to many circuits. 
And they're kind of in the middle of the pack when you look at, okay, are they, do they suit low drag uh, circuits? They suit high drag circuits. Are they better with low or high downforce? Like they're kind of in the middle of that, that dot plot, if you want to look at it in that way, at the sense, like literally like in the middle of it from slow to quick corners as well. Like they don't do anything amazing, but they don't do anything bad either. So if they can finish ninth in the constructors, I think that's a success for them, to be honest. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but Logan Sargent, DNF today, didn't race particularly amazing. Albon, of course, doesn't qualify as, as, as he has in the past couple of races yesterday. So you can't ask a Williams to do much from, what was it, 16th and 20th on the grid? Like, I, I didn't have really high expectations of them. I know they've been overperforming these past couple of race weekends, but let's be honest, they're still a backmarker team. And I think a success for Williams this season is ninth or eighth in the Constructors' Championship. And if they get eighth, that would be overjoyed. Um, they'd be overjoyed with that. So I think Williams are fine where they're at, at the moment because – they still have performed better than Avatar up until this point of the season. They're somewhat right there with Haas when you come to look at race pace, which is kind of crazy to think about because Haas is that Ferrari engine. So they're they're overperforming in my in my opinion so far this season. This is I'm not gonna say this is a one off because I think there's gonna be more races like this for Williams down the stretch of the season. You can't expect them to be challenging for points every race, but I know that the timer's about to click off here, so I'm going to stop talking. Um, yeah, Williams can't expect much from them because they don't qualify well around a lot of circuits, and they're not going to be overtaking a lot of cars. All right, so so Shane, thank you for your opinions on Williams. Right, I'll get to yours opinion now. You know, not the greatest performance, like I mentioned earlier. You know, is this kind of recency bias, or do you kind of just look at this as oh, they're kind of like a backmarker team? They're kind of just chilling where they are right now. Listen, I don't know why you guys are giving so much hate towards Williams. Look where they started and look where they finished. Granted, we had Sergeant do kind of mid, but Alba one place out of the points. You guys are hating on Williams, really? Really? I mean. He he's if he did it if he fell down the order that I would have totally agree with you guys on it. This dude actually made up places. He actually did something. I don't know what you guys are throwing so much hate on Albon for. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you could have asked for other than points, of course. No kidding, but or even a win. I don't know what else you could have asked him to do. He, I mean, he almost was involved in the crash earlier as well because he was just around to make the turn. But man. I don't know what you guys are hating on Albon for. I mean, he did something at least. He made up positions, but just finishing outside the points, starting from P16, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to call that a little bit of a success, but a little frustration they didn't get in the points. But look where he started and look where he finished in the car that he was in. I, I mean, think the stats, well, I think the early finish doesn't lie. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I understand your point, but I feel like, this I think he's graduated from the standard of like, oh, P12, P11 is a success for him. The fact that he has the talent to get into the points, I feel like he's graduated from that standard of P12, P11, and he's gotten to that point where he can try and just go out and get points as best he can because we know how good of a driver he is. So that's true. I feel like, I feel like his standard has just leveled up one bit, and that's why 
both me and Shane are kind of like, eh, this is kind of a step back for him. I mean, you could argue to step back for him because he didn't get in the points. But when Albon qualifies well, he gets in the points. This happens with everybody. If you qualify well, you deserve to get in the points. Albon didn't qualify well and was one position out of points. He fought back to get into the points. He didn't barely drop one spot or go up one spot. The dude made up five positions. That is solid for someone in someone in a Williams. But, I mean, you could say that he may have graduated from getting into the points or may not have exceeded expectations, but I don't know. I'm I'm not hop, hopping on that idea, Rome. I don't know. Interesting stuff, Shane. Before we move on, I want to get your quick thoughts on this. Yeah, listen, I mean, I never said that I was slandering out, but I'm just saying that you can't come to expect much from Williams. Like, I don't think that was in any way slandering him because Williams is just a black market team they have been for the past how many seasons? So, I mean, this is a team not too long ago that scored zero points over a span of a 17 Grand Prix season. Like, that's hard to do, even in, in a really bad car. So, yeah, I mean, Albon did finish 11th. Let's not forget, though, that Ocon and Gasly, who were ahead of him, crashed out. I mean, that's not criticism to what, to what he still did in Albon, but th- there's two drivers gone. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not arguing with you, Robbie, saying that Albon didn't have a successful day because I still think it's a, it's a good day for him. But I just think as a whole, for a team, you can't expect much from this Williams team. So let's not set our high expectations so high because then we're only going to continue to be bad once they don't get into the points. Which I don't think – I get the fact that Albon has talent room to get into the points – Let's be honest, he's in a very, very bad car. So we can't expect him to do that. Even two out of five races, in my opinion, like it's not going to be in every other race in for him, even if he has one of the most talented drivers on the grid. Yeah, I see your point. All right, now let's move kind of upwards towards the grid into a team that early on had a big stretch of points where Alonzo got podiums and a bunch of that. But as of right now, Aston Martin has not, been in the best position right now i feel like if you're just kind of on the outside of outside of points just like barely in p9 p10 with both drivers in this race specifically after you go out in like the first four races and get podiums to me that's another one of those things where you look at it and and it's kind of like eh, it's kind of a step back for them especially with how good that car was at the start of the year and how well basically both of those drivers have been performing because I mean, as much as we like to hate on Daddy Stroll and Lance Stroll, we forget the fact that Lance Stroll was in like P6, P7, P8, basically on a consistent basis, all because of that, how good that car is. And Fernando Alonso is Fernando Alonso. He's he's had like a another career revival, especially with how many podiums he got at the start of the year. And I feel like now when you look at the status of Aston Martin, to me, it's kind of shaky right now, especially when... I feel like they could have just brought a little bit more to the table. I'll talk about someone, some driver who also should have brought a little bit more to the table in a second, but I feel like Aston just need a little bit more today to really just kind of be consistent because the first half of the year has been great for them. Well, the first half, the first half of the first half has been great for them, but like this latter half before summer break hasn't been great for me, at least, at least by my standards. So Robbie, I'll go to you first. You know, do you kind of share the same, like, thoughts to Williams as Aston Martin does, or is it kind of just towards what I'm saying in terms of how it's kind of worrying for them right now? 
the fact that they started and got all those podiums in the beginning and they've had I'll call it a bit of a slide to where they are now is I agree with Rome. It's concerning. It's absolutely concerning. I mean, Alonso's you mentioned had the career revival somewhat. Stroll's been frustrating at times, but you see all, all these other cars improving, and because of those improvements, I think Aston Martin are just on that flat line and just haven't improved really that much at all. And it shows. Look at the cars who have improved. You talk about McLaren improving. Mercedes is like kind of on that same trajectory. I said Aston Martin was, but Mercedes is still performing well. I mean, you saw Hamilton and Russell better than the Aston Martins. You have Ferrari still better than the Aston Martins. Look at where Alonso was to start the year, and then look at where he is now. So I think as a brand right now, it's a little concerning, but man, it's it's a really mixed feeling team. I mean, and I, I mean that's the best way I could put it. Yeah, I I definitely share those same sentiments as well. Shane, uh, I'll go to you next. You know, like I mentioned before, Alonso's been starting really well, especially with the first four races getting podiums pretty much consistently. And then now you're starting to see them fall P9, P10. What's kind of your thought process about this team at this point? Yeah, I want to bring back a quote that Fernando Alonso said not too long ago. And I believe it might have been after the Spanish Grand Prix. He said that this is the last race of the season that I or Aston Martin, my Aston Martin team is not going to be on the podium, which is a pretty big, bold call for him, especially considering if you go back to 2022, I know they made all of these improvements and they were fighting for pole in Monaco and they were on the podium in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. But like 2022, let's not forget Aston Martin was seventh in the constructors, like tied with Alfa Romeo. Like they made so many big improvements towards the start of the season, which is almost why I, I, like, to, I like the word that Robbie used as well. But I'm going to say this, this, these past couple of races have kind of been a letdown for them. And I know that Alonso is still third in the driver's championship. I know that Aston Martin, crazily enough, or or they still have a decent gap to Ferrari in the in the constructors championship. They sit in third currently. And Alonso's gone into Q3 every race, which I think is it. I don't think we talked about talk about enough, but he has gone into Q3 every single race week in the season, which is very impressive in Aston Martin car because when you look back to this this past season, when when the, when the announcement came that he was joining Aston Martin, it was kind of like, oh wow, uh, Fernando, like this is another one of a, a, a continuous career making bad team decisions, moving to to teams that are kind of questionable. He has had a kind of a career of that, and is kind of what he's known for. But like Fernando Alonso, the great defender, today started P eight, finished P nine. Like, I get that he had Sergio Perez behind him, but in that Red Bull, but like still. Um, two points in a track that I thought Aston Martin would thrive at. You know, two points for Alonso and, of course, one for Stroll, which is kind of a backdoor point for him. Like, not the most impressive in the world. It's almost like, without Formeo, I think Aston Martin's best days this season are somewhat behind them. And so not only should Aston Martin be concerned that Ferrari... I mean, they should be concerned that Ferrari, of all teams, were still faster around this track 
with their race pace today, if you look at the data, then Aston Martin was, and we talk about, we'll talk a little bit about Ferrari, I'm sure a little bit later, because there was a lot of that, a lot of calamity that went down, especially with the Claire's team today. But I mean, the, we call Ferrari a mess at the moment. Aston Martin aren't outperforming them. And so, yeah, it's, it's almost like they gave us a little bit too much excitement and, they were too successful in this first couple races of the season that now we have such high expectations for them. They continue to once again, I'll say it again, let us down. So I attract like hungry where I thought they would thrive, bounce back from maybe Silverstone where I, I, I knew they wouldn't thrive. It's, it is concerned. Like you mentioned Rome and they got to do some work in that factory because Ferrari of all teams is outperforming them. And you know McLaren is going to be coming in these next couple of races that jump them, dare I say, in the Contractors' Championship come the end of 2023. Yeah, very interesting points there. And I know you mentioned about the Scuderia, and that was actually the next team I had on my list to talk about. So let's just get right into them right now. I feel like when you look at Ferrari's strategy today, it went back to the old 2022 days where they just continued to mess up on strategy. And I feel like Leclerc was, again, like – for the 1,000th time, the main victim of strategy problems because he, I think he had some type of slow spit, slow pit stop, and then Carlos Sainz had some issues as well. So, yeah, it just was not a great showing at all for the horses in the Scuderia Red Ferrari. So, Robbie, I'll go to you first on this one. I know you're wearing the red shirt, so I know you have something to say about the Scuderia Ferrari and the Scarlet Red, you know. Leclerc, not the best performance from him. I mean, the car, both cars did get in the points, but it's nowhere near what Ferrari standards should be, at least in my opinion, and possibly in a lot of other people's opinion as well. So what are your thoughts on Ferrari's day-to-day? I mean, you want to talk about lowering your standard? How about getting a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane? That alone should have been like, I was watching the race. I had my iPad taking notes with me. I had this iPad taking notes with me. And I was like, I saw him like lock up, totally, totally lock up. I'm like, he did not just speed in the pit lane, right? And then I saw the penalty go up. I'm like, oh my God, he did it. And I'm like, I just gave him a round of applause. Cause that is so embarrassing that you can get a five second penalty for speeding in a pit lane that's actually kind of long. So if you sped it in the pit lane at Monaco, I'm like, fine. I mean, that pit lane's really small. But at Hungary? Come on. I mean, granted, Leclerc finished in seventh and signs in eighth. I, if I was a Ferrari fan, I would be flipping tables for how frustrated I am. I mean, come on, guys. You're two of the most talented drivers on the grid. One's rumored to leave in a couple of years to whatever team Audi decides to be or someone else. And you have Leclerc, who has a ton of talent, but the car has been frustrating. They've screwed up the strategy multiple times. Will they learn? And will Leclerc actually stop making these small little mistakes? Because getting a five-second penalty like that is, once again, embarrassing. Just like how the team was today, with finishing seventh and eighth, but barely behind George Russell, who started from 18th and jumped them, jumping, going up 12 places, which is, in it, once again, embarrassing and frustrating from looking at from a Ferrari fan's perspective. I'm not a Ferrari fan. I'm just saying from another from a fan's like perspective because it's like, come on, guys. Come on now. I mean, I honestly could not have said that better myself. Like th- this has just kind of been the, f- been the narrative with them for the past couple years now. And even though they somehow got saved last year with the Claire getting P2 in the championship, 
there's basically no saving for them at this point because they're towards the bottom of the top 10 in the in the World Driver Championship, which, again, by their standards, is flat-out embarrassing. You should be one of the top teams on the grid, and you're not right now. And if you're Ferrari's front offices, if you're Fred Visser, if you're both Leclerc and Sainz, you really need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what needs to be figured out because – it's just to me, like I'm I'm like you, Robbie. I'm frankly pissed off at Ferrari right now because they should not be they should not be performing like this right now. Rome, Ro, I, I got one more thing. I got yeah. one more thing to say. It's like remember there was this one clip, I think it was from Drive to Survive from Valtteri Bottas. He said like traditions, like after that one crash he had in Hungary or something. It's like traditions for how many times Ferrari can freaking screw up their strategy. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. I mean it's tradition at this point. Yeah. Even with really the change in, in at at one of their highest ranking roles. I mean, come on. Yeah. I I cannot again, I could not have said that better myself either. Shane, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Do you agree with me and Robbie, or do you somehow see a way where Ferrari can somehow salvage this season? So one word for you about Ferrari this season and even going back to the back end after the middle point of last season after start break, and that's abomination. I mean, from top to bottom, like it's been rough goings for the Scuderia. Like the last fifteen laps, I don't think people really looked at this, but like watching back because actually we had so we had so much time between the race ending and us starting recording today. I watched back the race, like the full race. Those last 15 laps for the Ferraris, their pace almost got two seconds per lap worse, if you look at the data. Even though the car gets lighter towards the end of the race. Like, make that make sense. So if you want to add on to that, too, the Ferrari's pace on the medium was so bad, they were the slowest car on the grid with that tire today. The slowest car on the grid with that tire. And... I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that can salvage this season. I'll say one thing and one thing only. I don't want that to neglect the points I just made. But the next race is in Belgium, okay? A completely different track from, from Hungary, favoring efficiency, low drag with decent downforce instead of outright downforce. Now, on paper, this should favor Ferrari at the expense of McLaren. But what did we say going into this weekend? This track should favor Aston Martin at the expense of McLaren. But McLaren figured out a way to kind of block and tape over their deficiencies. But it all depends, Rome and, and Robbie, on how well each team can set up their car. So while Ferrari might be, their car might favor a track like Spa, obviously the famous um, 2019 victory for Leclerc back there, one of his first race wins special day for for ferrari as a as a fan as fans would say i don't think that they can even salvage a podium in a track a top three track that suits them on this calendar like it's that's how bad their team has set up this car each and every race weekend because they should be thriving in tracks like belgium and i have no confidence from that even at a track where they have one of the best cars when it comes to decent downforce low drag reduction and and they're they're somewhat i know it's crazy to say but it favors efficiency belgium and ferrari is actually if you you don't think of efficiency when it comes to ferrari but if you look at the data they're somewhat efficient when it comes to cars 
But I mean, to be the worst car on the grid today on that medium tire, it's there's a lot of question marks that they're going to be crunching. And it almost feels to me like Ferrari or like this social media PR propaganda at the moment because like Leclerc comes out on social media and says like it's it's just it's the same message over and over again like I know we joked about like Lewis always talking about let's keep pushing all business Instagram posts Rome I know we talk about that all the time but at least Mercedes are somewhat competing for results and competing for podiums like Ferrari comes out after every single race and you look at you just got to look at Leclerc's face it says it all he doesn't want to be interviewed by these guys because he, he says the same things. He has to say the same things about the car in every single race weekend. It's not good enough. We underperformed. And we're nowhere close to the Red Bulls, the McLarens, and the Mercedes. Like, nowhere close. So, abomination. I'll come back to that. And Ferrari, all they are at this point is, oh, wow, they can point to maybe having the most followers out of any constructor on Instagram. That's their constructor title, I guess. They don't seem to care about the actual car. Oh, yeah, let's go post some TikToks about Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc and get all these teenage girls excited about, oh, we got the two cutest drivers on the grid. Big accomplishment for you guys. That's that's great. I mean, we'll give you your medal. We'll give you, your, we'll give you the broken trophy from today. But, I mean, my Lord, Ferrari is an abomination of a franchise at the moment. And if they don't get their act together, Rome, they could be right back to where they were in 2020. Fifth sixth in the constructors championship come next season especially if they lose the likes of Leclerc. so there you go um, Matteo Benotto by the way wasn't a huge problem in my opinion I think he gets way too much slack this franchise it's the system it's the culture it's not just one person the culture is an abomination of a place to be at right now and they're just a PR propaganda franchise like tell me I'm wrong tell me I'm wrong Man, that was, I think, Robbie, I think it's safe to say that that was an all-time rant from Shane right there. Like, you, I you, 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 you really don't on. get that side of him too often, and you just got it right there. So that was incredible. I mean, I I mean, I mean, said, Robbie, I couldn't have said it better myself with you. I got to immediately squish that over to Shane because, my God, I could not have said that better myself that's, either. That's one of the few times I've given a standing ovation in the background to a rant. I don't usually do that at Rome. I mean, with, comment- with commentaries and stuff, Rome would know. I usually don't give a standing ovation to a lot of commentaries. <laughs> I did give one to you when we during the week at camp, but I mean, if you, Shane, if you saw me back here, I was give you a standing oh, ovation boy. for that Good. amazing rant, dude. That was impressive. Man, dude, Shane is on one today, ladies and gentlemen. We love to see it over here at the Starting Grid Podcast. But anyway, we'll we'll finally end this thing off with a team who we talked about at the top, McLaren. I mean, these guys, which is once again like have been on a rampage like Shane's rant just now on an absolute rampage on how well this team has been going. And like, it's it's just unbelievable to how, to see this growth from Lando and Oscar Piastri. It's, it's insane. And yeah, Lando broke the trophy and that's a memeable moment. Sure. But like, it's like, it's P2 and it's P4 or P5, excuse me for Oscar Piastri. That's not bad considering. And I'll talk about Lando first. I mean, his performances was great. He immediately shot off the grid, took advantage of Lewis Hamilton's uh, stalling off the grid, pretty much like Zoe, Zoe off, off, off the five red lights, and just really kind of stuck the pace. 
And like Shane said with the data with them earlier, he just was so fast. He was so much faster than Lewis in a car that we talked about at the top. Again, Mercedes gives these engines to McLaren and McLaren are outdoing Mercedes. It should be the opposite. So to get that type of performance from Lando Norris is just absolutely incredible. And then if you look at what Oscar did, to me, he he was I think he was gonna actually do really well because he was in P2 off the first few corners of lap one. Shane, I'll get to you in a second. He he was like on pace for some really good stuff, and then he kind of dropped off a little bit towards the end. And to me, I know I mentioned with Aston Martin that there was a driver out there that I thought could have gotten a little bit more. Oscar Piastri was that guy for me that to me at least could have gotten a little bit more because you because you were in P2, P3, and P4. And to kind of get down to P5, I mean, yeah, it's fantastic for McLaren. I mean, they're absolutely running right now. But to me, I felt like he left just like this much left on the table. I mean, it wasn't much. I'm just kind of nitpicking his performance because other than that, he was great. But when you're in a P2 and a P3, when you're in double podium positions for almost the majority of this race, you kind of look at that and go, okay, there's something we need to improve there. I know I can get back to that point um, if you're if you're speaking from Oscar's perspective. So, Shane, I'll go to your first year wearing the McLaren merch. You've basically jumped ship from Mercedes to McLaren at this point. So, as as the new-ish McLaren fan in the fit in the room, what are your thoughts on how Lando and Oscar have been performing so far? Not just in Silverstone, but in Hungary as well. Well, not only do McLaren, if we want to bring it back to the social media take, do social media and have more followers than Mercedes at the moment, but they're outperforming them on the track as well. I mean, my Lord, Oscar Piastri, Rome, is having one one of the best rookie seasons of all time. Like one of the best rookie seasons of all time. And he's very close to snatching that first podium. Like very, very close. He's been there. He's been in the hunt. And you mentioned, Rome, the aggression he showed on that first lap. He was right next to Max for stopping. He overtake his teammate Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton. So he was in P2 for a little bit. I will say McLaren, for reasons I can somewhat understand, but also you think they prioritized the driver who was ahead. They kind of favored Lando Norris in their strategy calls today. If you can remember the undercut they gave to Lando instead of Oscar, so Lando ended up being ahead of him. It, in my opinion, it very could have easily been another way around had they pitted Oscar uh, in different places during the race. So I don't think Oscar, I think Oscar can walk away saying, look, driver of the day could have been mine today. And I know I finished P5 and I started, what was it, P3? But like, my Lord, Oscar Piastri is the most talented F1 rookie I've seen in my time watching the sport, all that be it, it's been three seasons or so, but like more talented than Joe, of course, more talented. In my opinion, he's having a better first season than Alex Abon had. He's having a better first season than Pierre Gasly had. He's having a better first season than George Russell had. So I don't know. Oscar Piastri, future world drivers champion, mark it down in a couple of years because this guy has the talent. And I want to bring it back to Alpine here, Rome. My good old friend, Otmar, what a quote he said at the back end of Drive to Survive, if you remember it from this past season. If I was the McLaren CEO, I'd rather have Pierre Gasly in my car. Yeah, I think you should recheck your, your priorities at the moment, my guy, because you look at the driver's standings. Pierre Gasly had a huge head start on Oscar Piastri, but guess who's ahead in the World Drivers Championship standings right now? 
That's right. The rookie, Oscar Piastri. So, uh, Otmar, you're eating your words at the moment, and I'm happy because you're mid as well as a team principal. So there you go. Oh, my goodness, dude. Shane is like the Stephen A. Smith of this show. Now, I I can pretty much – you could pretty much bank it at home, ladies and gentlemen. But Robbie, lastly, I'm going to go to you with this one. You know, Lando and Oscar did their thing today, and I've been kind of harping on them really well. Shane, the same thing. But do you kind of see there a little bit of a drop-off there, or do you think they will stay consistent throughout the rest of this year and towards the latter end of the uh, of the calendar year? So I want to start with this. Rome didn't see me grab something, but I grabbed the trophy, yeah? And the reason is, this is for the best champagne celebration I've ever seen. The the, the way he just is able to be a great performer and execution in something that doesn't involve driving a car is miraculous. That is the stuff you love to see after a race. Like, if you're pissed off that Max Verstappen wins again, and you just see Lando go out and breaking tr- break a trophy and have their best champagne spray ever, that's that's entertainment for me but McLaren have really proved me wrong from Miami that it, it pisses me off every time like I was like when I watched the race I was absolutely fuming on how much they're proving me wrong it's so annoying and it's amazing to see though on the other side on the other perspective I didn't expect it I don't think any of you guys expected this to happen oh I'm wrong expecting it that nah, makes sense but <laughs> but at the same at the end of the day I mean wow First of all, I expected Pia- I said Piastri gets a podium. Boy, was I wrong on that. So I was one for three. I mean, honorary I, I, podium, I should say though. That's that was an honorary podium for Oscar. I know it won't go down the stat book, but yeah. that was an honorary podium for Oscar Piastri because McLaren prioritized the driver who was behind him, and they should not have done that. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that in. There. I mean, one. I mean, I went one for three. That sounds like I'm at, at the plate in baseball going one for three. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is really positive still. And saying that they're best, like we said earlier, that they're the best, second best car on the grid is not an understatement. It's can they keep it going? That's the thing with a lot of teams. I think we've talked about today is can they keep it going in whatever they we talked about or other or be mid? I don't know. I mean, that's the two big things that we talked about today. But I'm very impressed with both of them. I mean, I've watched back F1 history for I'm a, I'm a big history guy, so I've watched back F1 history for a good amount of time now. I cannot recall seeing a better start to a rookie season than Lewis Hamilton in 07 when he lost the championship by one point. I have not seen, going back in the history books, a better rookie season than that. So what what Piastri is doing, it's miraculous. I, I, could, <laughs> I, I could not have say any better other than miraculous. And he's really talented and in my own podcast, if I started it at the time that when they announced Piastri, I was very skeptical because I love Daniel Ricciardo. I'm a big Danny Rick fan. And I was pissed that he got sacked from McLaren, but it's worth it's worked dividends for them. And it's really worked out, surprisingly worked out. But man, the boys in Papaya have proved me wrong. And it's amazing to see. I mean, just like Robbie said, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of expected this all along. I mean, I've said it like at a million times in this podcast over and over again, I sound like a broken record, but you know, at the preseason predictions video, like Shane, Mia, Chathan, all you guys were like, Oh, this, this McLaren's going to be a tractor. It's going to be the worst car on the grid. Da, da, da. And I'm like, no, it's a 23 race season. You know, like there's, there's going to be more, there's going to be more time for you to get upgrades later on down the line in the season. And 
and they just have capitalized this. I mean, I expected them at least to be like competing again with Alpine in the midfield. I did not expect them to compete for wins at this point in the year. If you're competing for wins, like that is on a whole nother level of awesomeness for McLaren. But anyway, unfortunately we are out of time today. That is our show. That's been the starting grid pocket. I know Shane is shaking his head right now, but that, <laughs> no, Robbie's, Robbie's not happy either, but you know, we got to, I, I think we've talked about what we needed to talk about today, realistically. So um, that's our show. Oh, or Shane, you want to, want to take us out real quick. So Rob, are you about to tell me that we're going to end this show? Like I, I'm perplexed right now. You're about to tell me we're going to end this show when you when you you've been teed up by your Mexican cousin and Sergio Perez to come down on me with the hammer, I am perplexed that you have not taken advantage of the opportunity. I mean, I'm fine with just walking away. And All right, you know the what? Button, but come at me. I want to hear. Nah, you know what? what? You turned me up today. You turned me up. The driver of the day, Sergio Perez. Congratulations to the this Mexican boy. Almost turning into Nico Rosberg and just walking away when the lights are on. <laughs> come on. Hey, you know what? Since, Come on. Hey, you it. know what? Since you brought it up, I'm gonna talk about it real quick. You know, yeah, let's do it. Sergio Perez got podium today. He did his thing today. I've been saying it over and over again. This guy on race pace has been absolutely incredible. Yeah, he hasn't qualified to the best of his ability, but if you look at this guy's race pace, this guy shoots up the grid like nobody's business. And I think it's safe to say that I think you know. Contrary to what other people say, I think I agree with Christian Horner. I think this guy's staying with Red Bull in 2024. Although, regardless of this stretch of not doing really well in qualifying five straight races and qualifying and not really doing that well either. If you look at what he did at the end of last year and the start of this year, this guy won races. He has the ability to win races. He just hasn't qualified really well. If he just fixes his demons and exercises these demons of qualifying – he'll be in great shape to win races in the future. And he knows that in the back of his mind too. He said it multiple times. I have pace to win races. And to me, he does. Contrary to what other people may think. I, I just, I, I agree with Checo all the way on this one. So that's just kind of my thoughts on it. But, you know, if you guys want to just kind of quickly give your thoughts on that before we get on out of here, you guys can do that. I mean, I'm my question is, didn't Red Bull bring upgrades this week? Is that right? Yeah, they did. They did. So my question is because I mentioned that stat of of Paris getting to Q3 as much times as a freaking Williams. How much did those upgrades actually impact Paris's qualifying? Yeah, he got in the Q3, but what what did he start? P9? What yeah, where did P9. Paris start? It was P9. So you're really telling me that Red Bull upgrades get you to P9. Come on, man. And you see Max is having all that talent. You tell me P9? Like, he, he, yeah, he barely now has a better qualifying record than a Williams in the Q3. Yes, he gets in the P3. I was absolutely livid that I was fuming that he got driver of the day. I thought I should have gone to Russell. Because if you go to 12 positions, I don't care if you're, if you're facing a tractor, a Red Bull, or a freaking toddler on a bicycle. If you're going over, if you're going better than twelve cars on a grid, then you just. <laughs> if you didn't go better than twelve cars on a grid, you deserve to win driver today. Prove me wrong. Say whatever you want, but yeah, that's all I have on that one. Man, a toddler on a bicycle is 
crazy. That's that's madness, dude. A toddler on a bicycle, bro. Come on, man. I, you know what? This is just giving me more ammo to, to just bro, get these I was receipts when he wins a race. Again. Oh my god. This is this is just giving you me got more be, ammo. You did better than 12 cars. Come on. This is giving me more ammo. And I know Shane is giving me the slow rub hand stuff. Like that's not gonna phase me or whatever. But try well, and Shane's about to go you absolutely can't anyway. Crazy. Try anyway. Try anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this Aston Martin, right, that we, we've called an abomination of, of the team today, and, and um, myself has, has given them some criticism. So let's look at Fernando Alonso. Let's compare. Let's blindly compare, okay, uh, Sergio Perez and Fernando Alonso's season so far, okay? So Sergio Perez, two wins, that's great and all. When, when we look at consistency-wise, Alonso has been way more consistent than Sergio Perez. And guess how many podiums they both have? Six podiums. Six podiums to Perez. Six podiums now with Alonzo, and he's not gotten a podium in recent time. So I get that Paris is on the podium again, but I will say it once again, that should be the minimum expectation for him in that car. They are so far ahead of the rest of the field at the moment when it comes to qualifying, when it comes to engineering feats, when it comes to the engine that they've built going into the season. This this season's been a failure for Sergio Perez so far, in my opinion. A failure. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Honest to God, dude. My I question think is, won. how many races did he win? How many races has he won? He's won like two this year and like three last year, to the best of He's my mind. He's won memory. two this year. Um, I mean, if you're doing, if you can barely That's qualify better than Williams opinion. in a car that Max Verstappen's going absolutely crazy no in, then yeah. Saying that's a failure, I bet for some farthest, who are really crazy. He is the farthest away from his teammate than any other driver is on the grid at the moment. Yeah, well, it's because Max Verstappen away. is insanely good. No one can touch him. That's the problem. You know who can touch him if they were in the same car? Lando Norris would oh, touch him. My Lewis Hamilton would yeah. touch him. Yeah. Charles Leclerc no would touch chance. him. There's Remember when no Lewis Hamilton was really good no in Mercedes? Remember when Lewis was really good in Mercedes a couple years ago? Valtteri Bottas was still winning races when Lewis was Thank still you. doing extremely Thank well. Thank so, you. I don't know, Rome. I don't we know. We cannot end this meeting right now. I'm not letting you get away with this. We're not ending this Zoom meeting that two minutes. I'm not. I'm not. We're not doing it. We're, I'm, I'll start another meeting. I will start another meeting. I want to talk <laughs> about this more. I don't have a time limit, but oh Zoom is just goodness. Zoom is frustrating me. I'll, I'll, oh my I'll plead the fifth Dude, this on this whole one. Podcast even frustrated? Are you kidding me? This this has gotten too reckless. I gotta I gotta I gotta reel everybody Rome, in now. Rome, this... I've I've built up, I've built it up, I've hid away in my back cave for the first eleven or so races of the season, but I'm tired of being the one to say, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. I have opinions and. I also have facts to back those up. So I'm tired of just sitting here and acting like the do-it-all host who doesn't have opinions. That's not what I am. That's not what I am. I have opinions too. And this isn't this isn't I don't want this to seem like it's a it's a it's a wreck on YouTube because I love you guys, but I am tired of just sitting here and staying quiet. I'm I I I do my hosting duties and I love doing that sometimes. That's why I've asked Rome to do this the past couple of races because I can now say what needs to be said. So there you go. All right. Now we got to get out of here. It's less than a minute. I'll quickly wrap this up. That's our show. That's the Starting Grid Podcast. I'm Rome Katie. He's Shane Holcomb. That was Robbie Basil. You can follow the Starting Grid Podcast at the Starting Grid Pod. You can follow me at Rome Katie TV and at Rome Jacob One. 
You can follow Shannon S. Holcomb5. And we will see you guys in, at Belgium. See you guys.